Well, in his famous book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, as you might have read this before, has a chapter that he entitles The Great Sin. The Great Sin. It's a chapter where Lewis tries to take the biblical storyline and all of Christian teaching and history and tries to boil down all sin to one major sin. And what sin is that? The sin of pride. Pride. Lewis starts off the chapter saying this. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever manage that they are guilty of it themselves. The vice that I am talking of is pride or self-conceit, and the virtue opposite of it in Christian morals is humility. And why is pride so bad, according to Lewis? Because he says later in the chapter, he says, quote, pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And I think that's true. The great sin in the Bible and in Christianity, and therefore in reality, is pride. It's thinking all about yourself. It's a self-centeredness that by definition, neglects both God and others, and being so, it leads to many, many other sins. And that's why our Bibles are so adamant from the beginning to the end that us as God's people need to be a humble people, both because pride is so wrong and hurtful and because humility is such a beautiful trait. And at first glance, it's a bit surprising, honestly, how much the Bible really talks about this. Because we might think, sure, it's good to be a humble person, but when we analyze the biblical data, we see that this is actually one of the main themes that runs throughout the Bible from beginning to end, that God really opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. For example, in the Old Testament as a whole, humility is one of those things that God exalts over and over, while pride is probably the number one thing in the Old Testament that brings God's judgment on individual people and on whole nations. Furthermore, then you go into the Psalms and Proverbs, and we see again that humility and lowliness are praised in a good thing, while pride is denounced over and over again. And then finally, in the Old Testament, we have famous verses about humility from the Lord himself, like this one in Isaiah 66, where God says this, but this is the one to whom I will look. And to who? To he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. And then when we turn to the New Testament, it becomes perhaps even clearer For example, the apostles say things like we're to clothe ourselves in humility. Then they say that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. But then perhaps most important above all, when the Lord himself, the Lord God himself takes on flesh and walks among us, he says with crystal clarity that he is, quote, meek and humble in heart. Lowly, that's the same word for humble. He says that he's meek and humble in heart. And so the Bible is clear. We must avoid pride and we're to seek to be humble. 
And it really matters because pride is the opposite of relying on God and glorying in God. And humility is what pleases God. And it's the great characteristic from which many other blessings flow. Which brings us to our text here in Philippians 2. Philippians 2. So we say all of that about pride and humility because at the beginning here of Philippians 2, we have one of the best and most famous passages in Scripture about this subject. Because here in Philippians 2, we're going to see some of the most striking commands about humility. And then next week, as we're going to see, we're going to see the ultimate example of humility in our Lord Jesus himself. And so taken together, we have an excellent treatment on pride and humility here. And next week, we will look more into the example of Jesus in verses 6 through 11. But this week, we're just going to focus on what Paul says before that in verses 1 through 5. And to understand these verses here this morning, first we're going to, as always, quickly go through them, and we're going to get a feel for the text then. But then after that, what I want us to do is focus on the subject of humility. And to do so, we're going to ask three major questions, and that will be an outline of our time here this morning. Three questions about humility. First, we're going to ask, what is humility? Second, then we'll ask, what will humility lead to? And then third, we'll ask, and how, though, do we become more humble? So what is it? What will it lead to? And how to become more humble? And through these questions, we're going to look at these verses in detail, and we'll get a better understanding of what the Bible says to us this morning, especially about pride and humility. Yet before we do ask those questions, as I said before, I want us to first, just real quickly, and it will be quick, just run through the text. Because as always, I want us to get a feel for the paragraph as a whole. So first, look down in your Bibles, we're going to read the first two verses. So Philippians 2 starts like this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So to begin, notice verse 1 is building up to the command that comes in verse 2. And we'll come back to that later. But to feel the text, you can feel that the idea is, okay, if you have any of these things, then you should seek unity. Complete my joy by being unified. That leads, though, to verses 3 and 4. And these now are the verses on humility. If you want to look down at your Bible, he continues. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul talks about unity in verse 2, which leads him to talk about humility in verses 3 and 4. And so these two ideas connect. We'll come back to that later. But that's verses 3 and 4, which leads to our last verse, verse 5. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so that's the transition verse. We're to have this mind or this mindset of humility. That's what he's talking about. And then the Bible goes from there to talking about the humility of Jesus in verses 6 through 11. And so that's our text in a nutshell. And so remember, Paul's writing to the church of Philippi 2,000 years ago. But through God's word, he's writing to us. And he's essentially saying to us and to the church of Philippi, church, be unified. How? Be humble. All like Jesus. Be unified, be humble, all like Jesus. But now that leads us to really dig in once again to what this would mean to be humble. And that leads us back to our three questions. Remember, our three questions are, what is humility? What will it lead to? And how do we become more humble? 
So that said, let's dig into our first question together. What is humility? And for this, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 3 and 4. 3 and 4. So begin, let's read those verses again. Verses 3 and 4. What is humility? The Bible says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So the command here starts with a negative. You can see that. We're to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And that word selfish ambition shows up elsewhere in Paul, and it just simply means to do something mainly because you want to put yourself out there. But I think more significant than that idea of selfish ambition is that word conceit there in your Bibles. And I say that because this is the only place in the whole New Testament where this word occurs, which is rare, which is interesting. And that word there is, has the root word in it of glory. And it has the root word glory, but then it's morphed to mean something like empty glory or vain glory. In other words, that word conceit there means going and seeking glory for yourself in something, but at the end, it's a glory that's empty, that's vain. And so the Bible's saying not to be like that, not to be conceited like that. And we could spend, obviously, a lot of time on each one of those words and things, but we won't because the text doesn't. Instead, the emphasis comes in what Paul says next. You can see that. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. And then he goes and gives these two radical verses about humility. And we will break those down one by one, but before we do that, let's first look at these verses from 30,000 feet up. Because when we do that, the main thing we might notice is how others-centered these commands are. How others-centered these commands are. And I point this out because I think this is really helpful for us. Because remember, we're asking, what is humility? And so often when we do that, we start to think, well, what would it mean for me to be more humble? Or what would it look like for me to be less selfish? And yet the answer here in our Bibles in verses 3 and 4 isn't mainly that you need to go and focus on yourself and how you can be more humble and how you can be uh, less about yourself. Instead, you can see for yourself, the way of humility apparently is to focus more on others. See for yourself. Again, we'll break these down in a second, but don't let the other-centeredness of these verses pass you by. Verse 3, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so that then already is really our first answer to what is humility. Well, it's others-centered. Yes, of course, it's not selfish ambition or conceit, but then what is it? It's others-centered. And on this, C.S. Lewis, once again, is helpful since we're using him this morning. Because around 75 years ago, he pointed out something that was true of the Christian culture back then, and I think it's also still true for us today. And it's how we can so often be tempted to think that following Christ is mainly about avoiding things. Right? That it's mainly about avoiding negatives. While when, that, while when we come to the Bible, what we do see is that the Bible puts forth true virtue in Christianity is mainly as a positive thing. 
And Lewis pointed this out and applied this to humility and love. And he said it this way. He said, if you asked 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply, unselfishness. But if you had asked almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. And so you see maybe Lewis's point. Somehow this idea of not being selfish, avoiding a negative, has taken over the real Christian positive command to love. He goes on. He says it like this. You see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive And this is more than just philological importance. The negative idea of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion not primarily of securing good things of others, but of going without them ourselves, as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important part. And so Lewis concludes, I do not think that this is the Christian virtue of love. I think he's right, and it applies here to humility as well, because as he said, if we think that the main thing about humility is, quote, going without things ourselves, or it's about us just being unselfish, then as we pursue humility, we won't do so well because we'll still be focusing so much on ourselves, on how unselfish we are or we're becoming. And instead, our text is clear. Humility is primarily about how we look at and treat others. Yes, we should avoid being selfish. That's in the text as well. So if you feel you've been selfish in a certain area of your life, yes, confess it and fight against that. But primarily, our calling to be humble means that we now look at others in a new radical way. Which brings us back to these two verses here in 3 and 4. So let's now just quickly break each one of these down. We begin in verse 3. Here we're told, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. And now to be honest, this is one of the hardest commands in the Bible. But, but there it is. So what do we do with it? Well, to begin, notice the call, once again, isn't to think that you're the worst or anything. We should recognize our unworthiness, of course. The Bible's clear about that. But to self-deprecate over and over and over would once again be too you-focused. Instead, the command verse 3 here, you can see it for yourself, is simply to look at others, and when you look at others, count them, esteem them, reckon them, is more significant and more important than just yourself. That's what it says. And so we can sum it up as look at others and see them as important and honestly more important than just yourself. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because what a joy the Christian community at large would be and what a light to the world we would be if as as a whole, each one of us cultivated more and more this habit of looking around and seeing other people as really important, really significant. And I know in in the idea of that, it sounds so simple, but right, each one of us knows how hard this is. And why? Because of pride. Because in our pride, we want to think that we're so important. Because remember, pride in essence isn't necessarily thinking that you're the best or anything, but it certainly is thinking that you're so important. 
But humility here is looking around and seeing others and saying, you know what, they're really important. And in fact, they're really important than just me. So that's what we see in verse 3. Then in verse 4, Paul builds on this saying, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And in fact, in the original language here, uh, it's a lot vaguer actually than that word interests in English might convey. Because literally it just reads, let each of you look not only to his own, and then there's not really a defined word there. You can supply interests, things, stuff. Don't look only to your own that, but also to the, again, not a defined word, just interests, things, stuff of others. And so the idea here is from Paul, you and I have things. We have interests, things, stuff, hopes, desires, dreams. All right, that's what it means to be human, to have those things. But the call of the Christian and the call of humility is to not look out only for your own interests, things, stuff, but also to that of others. And so in summary of these two verses, each of us, And just see that in verse 4. No one's excluded. Each of us is one to look out at others and count them as important. And then two, to look out at the things that others are going through just like we have our own things and care for them. And in this way, after we sum those up, in essence, you can see kind of what Paul is doing here. He's kind of riffing on Jesus' own command, a command that was written in the Old Testament. And that's the command to love your neighbor as yourself. That's really what's going on here, because each one of us knows how to love ourselves. You've probably heard that before, but humility then, humility is then not seeing yourself as higher or better than anyone else, but in lowliness, that's all that the word means, to be low, in lowliness, it's someone who knows that you're on the same field as others, that you're a fellow sinner, and it's then taking that God-given ability to love and stretching it out towards others. That's humility. That's lowliness. As a side note before we move on, this was the humility of Jesus himself. So we have that example. We'll see this, of course, more next week and how Jesus left his throne and came and died in humility. But also just think about how he lived when he was here on earth. Right? We already talked about how he said that he was gentle and humble in heart. And what did this look like? Well, of course, he was never... Uh, conceited or selfish. He never sinned, but just as importantly, he was other-centered. He counted others, even tax collectors and sinners, as significant. That's what infuriated his opponents. (laughs) And he looked out for the interests, the things of others. And so our calling here, as always, is to be like Jesus, to not be all about ourselves in our own way, but to be about others And that, brothers and sisters, is humility. And so I do encourage you, before we do move on to our second question, to apply this to yourself. In in what ways can you be more like Jesus in this respect in your life? Take verse 3. How can you work on counting others more significant than just yourself? Maybe and probably it's definitely praying about it. Maybe it's thinking about a person right now that if you're honest, you don't think is that significant or important and deciding from here on out that you're gonna finally see them as important and significant. Maybe it's leaving the service and maybe even today or this week making sure that you make someone know 
that you see them as really as important. Whatever it takes, I encourage you to apply it. And the same goes for verse four. And looking out for the interests, things, stuff of others. We all have those ourselves, so how can you go from here and actively look out for those of others? Because again, this is what humility is. It's not primarily unselfishness. It's primarily lowliness and love. And if we don't apply it, let's be honest, we'll sit here in church and we'll nod and we'll agree with it, but we won't actually leave here and become more humble. And so mark it down, even in your bulletin right now, take a pen in the pew in front of you, answer the question, how can I be more humble? Meaning, how can I be more others-centered? And then let's leave here and each of us be more loving, low, humble people. But that now leads us to our second question. So we asked, what is humility? And now we will ask, and what will humility lead to? And this will be by far our quickest point. And for this, we're just going to read verse 2. Verse 2. So let's reread that now. What will humility lead to? Verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So we see here the call for unity. And I say this answers the question, what will humility lead to? Because notice Paul's logic. He commands them to be unified here in verse 2. And then right away in verses 3 and 4, he goes to talk about humility. And I think that's because he's saying that the unity he calls for in verse 2 comes about through the humility we just talked about in verses 3 and 4. And that makes sense. Because again, imagine a church community where people really saw one another as important. A community where people were really looking out for the interests, things of others, what would happen? Where there would be this one mindedness, this same love, as he says in verse 2. In other words, a bunch of humble people are a bunch of unified people. And that being the case, we can also say the opposite. And we know this. What causes disunity? Well, usually it's pride. It's when someone or many people together think that who they are in their way matters and is more important and significant than others. And now to be clear, of course, we can have our own opinions and our own way of looking at things, and we are different. But let's be honest. How often is it true that our own opinions and our wanting to have our own way are based in our pride rather than in any sort of humility? Right, if we're honest, I think that's often the case. And so the call here is to be unified, which is also a call to be humble. And so second, what does humility lead to? Well, it leads to many things, of course, but for the sake of our purposes this morning in our text, humility will lead to unity. Which finally brings us to our last question. And it's perhaps the most important question this morning. So we've asked, what is humility? And then we asked, what will humility lead to? But now we'll ask, and how do we become more humble? And I think this question, right, is particularly important for us because I'm sure for many of us here, especially if you love and you trust Jesus and you want to follow Jesus more, we know that we should be more humble, <laughs> And we also probably, hopefully, are thinking right now, yes, I want to be more humble. So you might agree with everything said thus far, but the question is, but how do I become more humble? 
And we will see two answers to that question in our text. One in verse one, but then the big answer comes in verse five. Verse one, verse five, let's start in verse one. Again, we're asking, how can we be more humble? Let's read verse one. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, and then he goes and commands them to be unified and be humble. Now, now let's be honest. At first, it might not seem like there's an answer to the how question there, but notice what Paul's doing here because it's important. Notice Paul doesn't start the paragraph in verse 2. He doesn't start the paragraph by commanding them to be unified and be humble. He could have, but he didn't. Instead, God inspired him to write this verse 1. In verse 1, it's kind of a build-up to the commands in verses 2 and 4. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then be unified and be humble. Do you see that? That's what he does. In other words, the Bible isn't just commanding us to be unified and be humble here. Instead, the Bible gives us these four quick reasons why we should be humble. And what are those reasons? Well, in essence, they're all experiences that we have in Christ and experiences we have together. Because notice these four things. First, is any encouragement in Christ? Meaning, have you ever been built up and encouraged in your life with Christ? Second, if there's any comfort from love, meaning have you ever been comforted from the love of God or the love of others? Third, if there's any participation in the Spirit, meaning have you ever participated, shared in the work of the Spirit in your life? Fourth, if there's any affection and sympathy, meaning have you ever felt affection and sympathy with God's people? If so, if you've experienced any of those things, which you have if you're a Christian, then the Bible's saying then use those realities that you've experienced to stir your heart to become more unified and humble. That's what the Bible's saying. So this actually is our first way that we can seek to be more humble. How can we be more humble? Well, we can call back all the experiences that we've had in Christ and with, with fellow believers, and that can lead us to be less about ourselves and be more about God and others. And so I encourage you to use this sort of logic in your life. Maybe you've never done this. When you're tempted to be prideful and just all full in thinking about yourself, think about how much God has done for you and the experiences you've had in Christ. And then think about how much more joy there really has been when you've been with the people of God and been more other-centered rather than just about yourself. Because when you think about those two things, it'll help you become more humble. It'll help you become less about yourself and more about God and more about others. But that then leads us to the second way our text teaches us how we can be more humble. And this is honestly where the passage shines. And for this, we'll look at that transition verse in verse 5. So let's read it now, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we have this mindset of humility, which is ours in Christ Jesus. That's what it says. And again, this verse 5 here is the verse that I think gives us the big how answer in our text. But again, at first, it might not seem that that's the case. But I want, you sh I want to show you how this is really the ultimate answer to the question, how do we become more humble? 
And to begin, notice what this verse is doing. Notice what the verse is doing. We've already talked about it, but it's transitioning to the Christ hymn, as it's been called, the Christ poem of verses 6 through 11. That's where Christ is famously humble by leaving his throne and coming and dying. And so at first, verse 5 seems to maybe just be saying, have this mindset of humility, which was exemplified in Christ Jesus. And some do take it that way, that Jesus is mainly just put forward as our example here. That we're to be humble by mainly following Jesus' example. And this idea of mainly following Jesus' example became especially significant and popular in the last hundred years or so, especially in evangelicalism. Right? We can think of it especially with the things like the WWJD sort of bracelets. And to be clear, nothing is wrong with those. But the main impetus of that idea and bracelets like that is okay to say, I'm, okay, I'm in a situation and I want to follow Jesus' example, so I'm going to think about what he would do and I'm going to do it myself. And again, there's definitely a lot in the Bible about following Jesus' example, but here's the issue. That's not enough for us. That's not enough. In fact... As we all know, if we try to follow Jesus' example, like his example of humility on our own, we'll fail. Yes, Jesus was the most humble person who ever lived. (laughs) We're going to see that. But if we try to follow his example on our own, just saying, I'm going to follow his example, I'm going to do it, we won't be able to do it. So again, the question is, well, how? How can we be more humble? And this is where verse 5 comes in with a beauty that a lot of people don't see at first glance. But I want, to see it for your, want you to see it for yourself. So notice, the ESV translates it, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I think that's the right translation. Yours could say something different. It could say something like, which also was in Christ Jesus. That would emphasize Jesus had this mindset, follow his example. But I think, which is yours in Christ Jesus though it sounds a little confusing at first, is the most faithful to the text. And so Paul's saying, have a mindset of humility, a mindset which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what could that mean? This is where the theological topic that has often been called union with Christ comes in. Union with Christ. And you can see it in our text in those words, in Christ Jesus. And without going into too much depth, people throughout the years have called it this because hundreds of times in the New Testament, the Bible says that we have certain blessings and privileges and abilities because we as Christians are in Christ or in him. And if you've read the epistles especially or any part of the New Testament before, you've probably noticed that. And to Paul especially, this was a huge topic, being in Christ Jesus. And it meant that because of our relationship to Christ, now that we have, we're united to him. We're connected to him. We're in him in a spiritual but real way. And because of that connection and unity we now have with the risen Jesus, we get real blessings and privileges and abilities all flowing to us through Jesus himself. That's union with Christ. Which brings us back to verse 5 and how this helps us be more humble. And to see it, look one more time at what Paul says here. So he says, be humble and have this mindset. And then he says, this mindset is yours in Christ Jesus. So if you're following, the Bible's saying this, because you're connected to Jesus, 
because you're in Christ, because you're saved, you're unified with him, you can be more humble because you're connected to the ultimate source of humility. You can be more humble because you are connected to the ultimate humble one, Jesus himself. That's what the text says. All that humility you need is yours in Christ Jesus. And to be clear, as we'll cover more next week, that's why verses 6 through 11 coming up here are so encouraging. They're not merely or mainly just Jesus' example. Because if they were just Jesus' example, that wouldn't be very encouraging on its own. Because we can't just follow his example on his own. Instead, verses 6 through 11 come because this Jesus of verses 6 through 11, this one who humbled himself to the point of death and now is exalted over Lord, over the whole earth, that's the one we're in. He's the one we're connected to, that we're unified with, that we're in a relationship with, and he can help us become more humble. That's what verse 5 says. Humility is ours in Christ Jesus. And that's then the ultimate answer to our question. How can we be more humble? The answer is that we can be more humble because we're in Christ Jesus. We can become more humble by Jesus himself. And for us, that means focusing on Jesus, right? Hearing from him in his word, praying to him and asking him to make us more humble like himself through our union we have in him. And I know that might sound vague, right? A lot of spiritual words, I know that might sound vague, but I really encourage you not to let it be because this really is how we as believers become more humble and fight pride. We look at Jesus as our example, absolutely, but more we look at him and we say, Jesus, I know that I'm now connected to you by faith and you and you alone can take this prideful man and make me more humble. And because we're saved and in him, he hears our prayers and he answers and he makes us more humble. <clears throat> so that's our text. And that's what the Bible has to teach us about humility. What is humility? It's of course not being selfish and seeking your own glory, but even more so, it's other-centered. Counting others is important, looking out for their interests. Second, what will humility lead to? Well, in our text, we saw that humility leads to unity, which makes sense. And then third and finally, how can we be more humble? Well, we saw that we can look back on all that God has done and our experiences we've had in him and with one another. But then second and above all, we become more humble by Jesus himself because we're connected to him, because we're in Christ Jesus, the ultimate humble one, which is what we're gonna see next week. And he can share some of his humility with prideful yet saved sinners like us. But now as we close, I just want to make one final appeal. <clears throat> and it is simple, and we've said it throughout this message, but it needs to be said one more time. And that's for each and every one of us now as we close, brothers and sisters, to really take this call of humility to heart. <laughs> to really now leave here after this service and fight pride and embrace humility. And that will mean different things for each one of us in our lives, but it is amazing Right, how prone we are to pride and how often we easily just drift back towards pride. 
And that's why texts like this that we come to in the Bible are so helpful, not mainly because they add commands and things that we need to do, but because here our God through his word this morning is directing us once again back to the true, right, good, beautiful, Jesus-like way of living, the way of humility, of lowliness. And so again, where do you need to work on your pride and humility? Is it something at home, at work, at school, in church. It's okay to admit it because all of us, and I can say with assurance or certainty, all of us struggle with pride in certain areas. But the question we now have to ask is now that we see that pride, hopefully you are seeing it, what are you gonna do with it? And even more so, since we talked about all these things this morning, the question isn't just how do I deal with my pride, but how do I cultivate this other-centered humility? And as you do this, remember that you are not alone. Instead, always now remember verse five of Philippians two, that the main way that you will fight pride and become more humble, it won't be from you. It will be from Jesus himself. Humility is, quote, yours in Christ Jesus. And so the main takeaway above all is to, yes, leave your fighting pride, seeking humility, but above all, it's to rely on Jesus. Because as we will see next week, Jesus is the ultimate humble one. He's the one who left his throne, came and died on the cross and rose for your and my salvation. And the good news is that because of the gospel, if you trust in him, he really is for us. We're really in him. And now he can help us become more loving, more low, and more humble, all like him. Amen. 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 Let's pray.